You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Philippians chapter 3 is where we are. We're going to start in verse 12. We'll read down through verse 21. If you don't have a Bible, we'll be sure we'll put the text on the screen for you. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if, anyth- and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him, even to the subject, all things to himself. Let's pray together one more time as you pray for me as I pray for you. Father, we're here again today. We, We literally, like you kept the world going while we did nothing but sleep. And by your grace, you have brought us here through a series of different events for each person. And I just believe that there's no one that is here by accident. Um, Father, we are here because we need something beyond ourselves. We're here because we are searching for true satisfaction and fulfillment. And we know that the world so far has not been able to offer us what our souls are really crying out for. And today we recognize that Jesus, that fulfillment is found in you. And so I pray that through the power of your spirit that you will take this text and it won't just be words on a page or I won't just be a man up here just saying words, but that truly, Spirit, that you will move through this and you will transform our hearts. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, over the last three years, um, every Tuesday morning, I make the drive from Paragould to Jonesboro to work on my sermon or whatever other church work I have at Starbucks. And on my drive from Paragould to Jonesboro, there has been one thing that is constant. One thing that I can bank on seeing every time that I hop in my car and I make the commute to Starbucks. And that is that Dan Ring, who is a native of Paragould, is going to be running on Highway 49. Some of you are shaking your head because you also make that drive. Um, just two weeks ago, a matter of fact, in the midst of the big American flag controversy, I saw like Dan like with this like 10-foot flag just like running on the highway. And it was like, you know, I don't know what you think about that whole controversy. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, like, this guy is intense. He is committed. And so uh, one day, you know, I think it was like in the 20s, right? And he runs no matter what the conditions are. I was like, man, I have got to stop and ask him, what is up with you? And so, like, you know, the curiosity got the best of me, so I'm driving to Jonesboro. You know, I I hit the brakes, and I pull over, you know, probably about 50 yards uh, up ahead of him, and I get out of my car, and I've never met Dan before up to this point, and so, as you can imagine, he was a little freaked out um, that somebody pulls over on the side of the road, so I put my hands up to let him know, like, I've got nothing on me, you know, I come in peace. And so, he's still kind of running, and he's like, may I help you? 
And I'm like, yeah, he doesn't stop running. So I, just, I, said, yeah, I guess he don't want to mess up his time. So I'm like, you know, I'm just, uh, I said, my name's Jared. I'm a pastor in Paragould. And so I said, I just want to know, like, why are you the way you are? And, uh, and, and he, he was like, uh, he said, what do you mean? I was like, why do you get up no matter if it's raining or, or it's, you know, sunny, whether it's windy, whether it's sleet, or why do you get up you know, hot or cold and you run every single day? Like, what is your motivation? And I was expecting some like deep, profound answer that I'm like, ooh, man, you know, this is going to be something I'll take with me for the rest of my life. And he looked, he says, well, you know, there's a lot of reasons that I run. But honestly, he's like, one of the big reasons I run is I love pizza. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I, I love pizza. And he said, I know that if I run, you know, whatever it is, like he runs like 5, 10, 15, 20 miles a day. What, it's insane how much he runs. He's like, I know that when I run as much as I do, that if I'm craving, which I often am, a large pizza on Friday night, I can eat it without having a guilty conscience. And he said, so that's why I run, right? In the rain or the sun, when it's hot and it's cold, whatever. Like, that's my motivation for getting out and running the way that I do. Now, here's the reason that I share this. Most of us in here um, are probably not getting up and, and physically lacing up our shoes every single morning and physically running down Highway 49. But what I submit to you this morning... Thank you, Randy. Always glad to know you're awake. What I do submit to you this morning is this. All of us in here are running somewhere. All of us in here are pressing on towards a reward that we believe is going to outweigh the cost. For some of us in here today, we are running towards popularity. We're doing whatever we can to get another like on Instagram or Facebook or to get another compliment on our wardrobe or our house or our new car. For some of us in here, we're running towards graduation. Man, if I can just get you know, out of high school or out of college, like, then my life will be you know, complete. Some of us in here are running towards marriage, trying to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Some of us are running towards having kids. For those who have kids, we're running towards trying to get the kids out of the house, right? Some of us are running towards vacation, man. Like we work so hard and we plan so hard like just to get to the next vacation so hopefully I can refresh or I can recharge my batteries and make it through another season. Others of us are running towards that next promotion so we can make more money or others are running towards retirement. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. But, but here's the point. All of us in here today are running towards something. There's something that all of us have in our minds today that if we run towards it and if we get it, if we can obtain it, then all of the hard work and all of the sacrifice that we are making, all of the suffering that we are uh, experiencing, it will all be worth it when we get that thing. The question I want to ask you this morning is what is that for you? What is it today that you are running towards? What is it that you're giving your life to? Like, what is the goal? What is the prize that you think, like, oh, if I could just get this thing, like, then I know I would be satisfied. I know I would be fulfilled. And I would just ask you today, by the way, whatever that is, what's convinced you that it is going to give you what you think it's going to give you? Like, who told you that you should pursue that and that that's going to actually, like, complete your life? These are the questions that, that Paul wants us to consider this morning as we dive into Philippians 3. And if you look with me again, we're going to pick up in verse 12. Paul says here, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. I just want to stop right there and say this. If you were with us last week, you know the Apostle Paul had just said in verse 10 that his life ambition, 
is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, to share in his suffering. He says even to become like him in his death. And so what I want you to see today is despite the fact that the Apostle Paul is a man who runs hard after Jesus, despite the fact that he wrote like 35% of the New Testament, despite the fact that he would say crazy things like, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain, Despite the fact that Paul is someone that we look at as a spiritual giant, he says right here in verse 12, I still haven't arrived. I, I, I still don't have my life together. Yes, I have found Christ. I have been found in Him, not having a righteousness that comes from my own, but that which comes through Christ Jesus. Yes, I have been justified. I have been made right before God. But though I have been justified, I have not fully been sanctified. I have not crossed, Paul says, the finish line. I have not fully obtained to the life that God has for me. I have not arrived. I'm still a work in progress. I still have a lot to learn. I still have places I need to grow, and I still have sins that I need to repent of. I don't know about you, but, man, this has brought me a lot of encouragement just this past week. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I can look down just in the past seven days, and there are things that I said that I should not have said. There are thoughts that I had that I should not have. Thoughts that, honestly, if they were projected on the screen, I'd be humiliated. There were times where I did things that I know Christ has called me not to do, and times that, that, that I did not do things I know that he has called me to do. And as a result, guess what? This past week has been like many weeks in my life, where though I've been running hard after Jesus for 14 years, I feel like I've made it like that far. Like, is anybody else there today? For some of you here this morning, you walk into this room and there's just like this inner critic constantly running in your mind, constantly beating yourself up, constantly condemning yourself, constantly looking and saying, God, you should be so much further along than you really are. Some of you have been struggling with the same sins over and over and over for years. And if that's where you are today, I just want to say welcome to the club. As Brennan Manning once said, the church is not meant to be a museum for saints, but a hospital bed for sinners. The church is a place for people who have not yet arrived. The church is a place for imperfect people who are all standing in need of one perfect person together. And guess what? That perfect person isn't me. That perfect person certainly isn't you, right? But it's Jesus. He is where our hope is, and he is all that we have. That's what Paul has been unpacking for us all the way up until chapter 3, verse 12. And when we get this, what it means, guys, is when you come into a room like this, you can stop pretending like you have it all together. We can admit, like Paul, you know what? We're a work in progress. We can admit, like Paul, I don't have it all together. And just so you know, listen, that's a sign of Christian maturity. It's a sign of Christian maturity, not whenever you say, you know what, the longer I follow Jesus, the less I need Jesus. But a sign of Christian maturity is when you realize the longer I follow Jesus, the more jacked up and sinful I realize I am and how holy God is, and therefore that Jesus really is the one that I need more than I ever thought that I needed him. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you were here today and you were like, I pretty much have my life in shape, I've pretty much whipped every sin, you're deceived, you are not a Christian. Plain and simple. The truth is today, justification happens in a moment. 
Sanctification is slow. It is a hard process. Justification, it is instantaneous. Sanctification is an absolute crawl. And therefore, before we go any further, let's just make a deal with one another. Can we do that? In light of this, listen. You be patient with me, I'll be patient with you. You hold me accountable, I'll hold you accountable. Does that sound good? And we'll work on this together as a family. Paul says in here, and the first thing that we have to get is, listen, he says, thanks be to Jesus, it's okay to not be okay. But, but, though we are not expected to be perfect, what Paul wants us to see here, we are expected to make progress. If you look again in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In other words, verse 12, what Paul is saying here, hey, it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay, however, to want to stay there. Paul says, I'll be the first to admit, like, I'm, I, I'm jacked up. Like, I still don't have it all together. I am not perfect. But, Paul says, I am pressing on. I am moving forward. And then notice, though, he says, the reason I'm pressing forward, the reason I'm reaching for Jesus, the reason I seek to make him more of my own, verse 12, because he has first made me his own. You have got to get this today. Whenever, uh, I have three kids. Whenever uh, my daughter Nora was two, she used to come up to me and she'd say, Daddy, hold you. Right? She wouldn't say, hold me. She'd say, Daddy, hold you. And when she'd reach her arms out, that was her way of saying, I want you to drop whatever it is you're doing, and I want your undivided attention. I want you, right, to, to, I want you to, to give me all that you have. Right? She was reaching for me. She was saying, drop everything you have, and, and I want to make you my own. What Nora didn't realize it too is the only reason that she was ever able to make me her own is because it's her dad I first chose to make her my own. The only reason that she was in our house is because God brought her into this world and her mother and I decided that as her parents, we actually love you and we want to keep you. Even whenever you're doing nothing but pooping in your pants, right? And crying at all hours of night, like we still love you before you ever did anything for us. We love you. We'll give our lives to you. We will make you our own. And therefore, as a result, she could say, Daddy, I want to make you my own. This is exactly what Paul is getting at here in verse 12. He says, the reason I go hard after Jesus, the reason that I continue to reach out to him and seek to make him my own is because he first, by his grace, has made me his own. In other words, Paul says, I press forward, not because I'm trying to earn God's love, but because I already know that I am loved. If you don't get that today, the rest of the sermon, I promise you, is going to beat you up. So you better wrap your mind around it. We're going to talk about running today. And you need to understand, you're not running from a place of trying to earn God's love. If you do that, you'll never be fast enough. You'll never be able to do enough. You will burn out. You'll drop out of this whole thing. We're not running from a place of trying to earn God's love. We're running as Christians because we already know we are loved, even before we ever laced up our shoes. Does that make sense? Paul's going to continue to build on this idea in verse 13. Brothers or sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, so I'm going to make that clear again. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, because Jesus has made me his prize, I want to make him my prize. He says, 
because I've tasted the love of God, because I've met the real resurrected King Jesus, rather than running after the things of the world, I'm going to make Jesus my lifelong pursuit. Notice in verse 13, how does he do this? He says, forgetting what lies behind. I want to be real clear here what Paul does not mean. Many of you know that uh, if you're members of this church, we place a big emphasis on things like the Enneagram, where we say a lot, hey, in order for you to go forward, you first have to go back. You need to look at your childhood, you need to consider your wounds and your past, right, and all that, so, so you can experience healing. When Paul says forgetting what lies behind, he doesn't mean, hey, we should stop talking about our past. And we know that's true, because right before this, what did he do in Philippians 3? He talked about his past. That's all he just did in the sermon we talked about last week. He just brought up his past. To forget what lies behind doesn't mean that you don't talk about your past. It just means you're not controlled by your past. And how can you know if you're not controlled by your past? You can talk about it. Because it doesn't... It doesn't define you anymore. You don't find your identity in those things, the good stuff or the bad stuff, right? You find your identity in Christ. So Paul says, look, I'm forgetting what lies behind. And then what's the next word? Verse 13. He says, forgetting what lies behind and what? Straining forward to what lies behind. The word for straining that Paul uses here literally means to strive beyond a point of exhaustion. It's a picture of a marathon runner who feels like I have nothing left in the tank, but I'm going to keep going. I, I think about Jordan Lane. Um, we got any Uncle Jordy fans in here? Where is Jordan here? He is here? Where? Raise your hand, Jordan. Oh, hey. All right, there he is. Okay. Good to see you. Um, Jordan is the man, not only because he built, this, built me and my wife this incredible table for our kitchen last year, but he's the man because he's competed in the Ironman competition, not once, but twice. If you don't know what the Ironman competition is, let me just tell you this. None of the rest of you could do it, or me either, okay? <laughs> Maybe some of you could. I don't know some of you. I shouldn't say that. That's judging, right? And so... Um, the Ironman competition is a 2.4-mile swim, and then without rest, a 112-mile bike, and then without rest, a 26.2-mile run. Yeah, some of you are like, that makes me nauseous just thinking about it, right? No, thank you. So Jordan's like, yeah, I can do that. So he heads to Oklahoma, and the first time he competed in the Ironman, he went into a coma. True story. <laughs> it's a true story. He's like halfway through his run. It's like the very end, right? He's got the run. He goes halfway through the run. He says he's running. And all of a sudden, he's like veering off, like off track. And he's like, I don't know what's happening to my body. But he says, the next thing I know, I collapse. And there's some nurses that are like over me, like trying to restrain, restrain me because I'm like punching. I'm like, I got to finish the race. And like, you know, and so like he literally went into a coma, almost died, right? And so what did he do? What any of us would do, he'd say, man, next year, next Ironman, I'm going to compete in that one, right? He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing. I'm going to press forward. So the next year he goes to Florida. He gets back in another Ironman competition. And so he starts in the swim, which, by the way, is in the stinking ocean. Not a lap pool. An ocean, like with sharks and waves and tides and all that. And so he has this wetsuit on, and, and he, he cut the sleeves off of it. And, and what had happened, he didn't plan on this, but, but uh, in a swim, it began to cut into his arm. So he's bleeding, he's getting salt water in his arms and all that. So he says, so what did you do next, man? He says, I just pulled it down to my waist. And so for the next, like, two miles, he just, like, pulled his wetsuit through the ocean, like swimming. So he comes out of the water, and he's exhausted. But he goes on, and he finishes a 112-mile bike. 
And eventually he runs his 26.2 without going into a coma and he finishes the Ironman competition. Right? But he was absolutely beat. He was like, man, I didn't know I could go any further, but I kept pushing. I kept straining. And listen, that's the picture that Paul paints for us here. He says, that's what the Christian life is like. If you're here and you're like, man, this following Jesus thing is hard. Am I doing something wrong? Nope. As we have said over and over this past year, guys, grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. The Christian life following Jesus takes effort. It involves sacrifice and dedication. It involves straining and striving, even at times beyond the point of exhaustion. But notice what Paul says here. He says, if we keep running, if we keep pressing forward, he says, you've got to remember we're heading somewhere. And where are we heading? He says in here, we are heading towards the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, you know what? If you'll just keep pressing on, even though you're tired, if you'll just keep running, if you'll keep pursuing Jesus, if you'll keep persevering, he says, one day you will, fall, you will cross the finish line. And when the race is complete, your joy will be complete. Our faith will become sight. We will see Jesus face to face, and we will experience the overflow of his perfections for all eternity. Paul says, therefore, let's run. Let's run. Let's press on towards Jesus. Let's strain together towards the goal. He goes on in verse 18. He says, let us not become like those who rather than running towards Christ, they walk as enemies of the cross. He says in verse 19, if you skip down with me, he says, for those who walk as enemies of the cross rather than running after Christ, he says verse 19, their end is destruction. For their God is their belly. And they glory in the shame with minds set on earthly things. What Paul says in here again is, listen, guys, we're all pressing on towards something today. We all, in our own minds, have this thing where we're like, man, if I can just obtain that prize, I know that I will be satisfied and fulfilled. And what Paul says is so tragic and even brings me to tears. He says there are many people, he says, you know what they're looking to for their satisfaction? Their own bellies. In other words, these are people who have been convinced that if it tastes good, it feels good, it looks good, then I should go for it. These are people, Paul says, who literally are building their lives on instant gratification. And guys, listen to this. What does he say in here? He's very clear. Though instant gratification will promise you delight, it will only deliver you destruction. Do not, he says, therefore live for earthly things. Just this past week... I experienced this in my own life. Because the reality is, let's be, let's be honest again, we're like Paul, we all tend to run after earthly things. We, we go here, and then we go here, we're like, okay, Jesus, like, no, this. Like, you know, it's like, we, we, we all tend to do that. And we get a glimpse of that destruction any time and every time that we actually begin to run after something other than Jesus. And this past week, I experienced that. Um, there was the Green County Tech Fun Run. How many of you had kids that competed in the Fun Run? Yeah. We have one family in here that their kids smoked everybody else in the fun run. Congratulations, McNeils. Um, and uh, anyway, so my kid did not smoke everybody in the fun run. Um, and uh, if so, I would have used that as my opening sermon illustration some way, somehow. But anyways, um, I, he, uh, so Nora and Wyatt both competed in the fun run. And, and I thought, you know, my kids don't really necessarily enjoy running um, so I didn't really expect for Wyatt to, to win the fun run. I just kind of wanted him to, to be like average, you know? Does that make sense? 
However, as I'm watching the fun run, as they're making their like final turn, I, I see his one by one, all these people begin to come around in front of him. And eventually, I think it was like last or next to last, not exaggerating, I just see my son going. <laughs> just walking. And in that moment, I wish I could say, like I had my camera, like, that's my boy, you know. And so, look at my boy. Uh, but in my heart, you know what I honestly felt? I felt shame and sorrow. And, uh, you know, Megan went up to him after he crossed the finish line. And she says, way to go, buddy. I'm so proud of you. Did you have fun? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, you did? Why? Like, you finished, like, last. You know, I didn't say that. I mean, like, I'm like, trust me. Like, I know. I'm like, wait, yeah, son, I'm so proud of you. And, you know, I'm looking around. The other kids are getting the medals. And, but deep down inside, honestly, there was no joy in my heart. And you know why? Because in that moment, my son wasn't the only one running. I was running. And I wasn't running after Jesus. I was running after living vicariously through my son and thinking, you know what? I'm still valued by what I do. And if my son doesn't look good in front of others, I won't look good in front of others, and therefore I won't be valued. And in that moment, it robbed me of my joy. It robbed me of life. And I should have been celebrating and having fun with my son. And guys, that's just a glimpse of what happens whenever we begin to choose to run after other things rather than Jesus. And what Paul says, if you keep doing this, if you at the end of the day make something else the prize over Jesus, if that becomes your life, he says your end will be destruction. But verse 20, for those of you who are trusting in Jesus, who are running after Jesus, look what he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Paul says there's two types of kingdoms in the world. There's two types of kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world, and then there's the kingdom of God. You can choose which one you want to run after today. He says this, though. If you run after the things of the world, if you build your life on, on things like money and approval of others and the American dream and even like, hey, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good guy and I've done good stuff. He says, if you do that, in the end, it's going to lead to destruction. If you build your life on that stuff, it's going to crumble and you're going to fall with it. But if you will go after Jesus, if you will wait for the day that when you cross the finish line that you will see him face to face, look what he says in here. What's your destiny? He says, our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. In other words, this is as bad as it's going to get for you. One day, though you're suffering now, you will suffer no more. Though you're struggling now, you will struggle no more. He says, there's coming a day where there will be no more pain, where our bodies, just like Jesus, when he rose from the dead, right, it will physically, we will have a physical, perfect, glorified body, and therefore, as a result, he says, we are going to a place, guys, listen, where there's going to be no sickness and no sadness and no soreness and no devastating effects of sin. That's great news. In fact, I don't know of any news that's better than that, but here's the question. What does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us in 2017 right here in Paragould, Arkansas? And I think in order to answer that question, I just want to direct your attention back to verse 20 where Paul says that we are, that our citizenship is in heaven. The translation for that in the Greek, another way to translate that is when Paul says we're a citizenship in heaven, another way of saying it is our colony is in heaven. Now listen carefully. I'm going to like nerd out on you for like 20 seconds, and I know like everyone but Andy Runyon is going to want to space out right now. And so, um, 
That may not mean a whole lot to you that we're part of a colony of heaven, but to the church of Philippi, it would have meant a ton. Because listen, for the people in Philippi, they were under the rule and reign of the Roman Empire. Now, the, now the, the genius of the Roman Empire was this. What made the Roman Empire rule for so long is when they would go and they would conquer a city, they would set up what they would call a colony. And the purpose of a colony was this, whether it was in Egypt or Syria or wherever they would conquer, Jerusalem, they would move Roman citizens to this place, and they would begin to, to basically soak that, that city with their culture. So they would take their music, their arts, their architecture, their philosophy, their government, their religion, all that kind of stuff. So literally, a colony, the point of a Roman colony was to Romanize other cities across the world. With that in mind, what Paul is saying to this, when he says that our citizenship is in heaven, he's saying, look, to the church of Philippi, you're actually not a part of the Roman colony. You're a part of the heavenly colony. And therefore, Christian, you know what your job is to do? Just as the Romans and their colonies are called to Romanize other cities, you as a citizen of heaven are called to heavenize other cities. That's what he's saying. He's saying our goal as Christians is not to get caught up in the world, allowing the world to conform us more into his image, but as Christians, as citizens, our job is to strive, is to strain, is to press forward towards the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, so that we live and we love, we proclaim and we demonstrate the gospel in such a way that we actually heavenize the world that is around us. The reason that's so important for all of you here today is because apparently, like either you're a part of this church, you're checking out a church, and here's what you need to know. This is the purpose of the church. So you shouldn't sign up for anything or anywhere that's not aiming at this. A church, please hear this. If you don't come back, whatever, go search somewhere. Just please hear this. A church, look at this from cover to cover. A church does not exist primarily to fill a room with people. A church exists to fill the kingdom of God. Uh, at fellowship, man, listen, I'm all about us having a fun kids, safe kids together, and we hear them through the walls and all that great. My kids back there. I'm all about us having a student ministry and a great sounding band. Man, that's all excellent. A facility like this, but none of that is the point. We exist for the purpose of showing Paragold and Jonesboro and Walnut Ridge and the world around us a picture of what heaven is like. That's our call. I don't know about you, I, I want to get out of bed for that. We exist so that we, as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, can live in such a way that we actually begin to see God's kingdom come and His will being done on earth just as it is in heaven so that more people can experience the unshakable eternal joy that is found in King Jesus. That's why we're here. For no other reason. That's why we're here. So with that in mind, I just want to say four things that I want to call us to as a church. Four things. First thing I want to say is this. If you're not in a missional community, plug into a missional community. A missional community is a group of 15 to 20 people who are simply trying to live as a colony of heaven. It's 15 to 20 or 50 if you're an Adams MC who are trying to live as a family of missionary servants to a specific people group, whether that be single moms who are recovering from addiction or grace mission or like RMC that's reaching out to refugees and international families that are here or foster. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But this is the way that we as a church can move beyond these seats and into the streets for the purpose of helping see God's kingdom come and will being done. 
So if you're not an MC, I want to encourage you to get in one, guys. The truth is, I don't care how spiritual you think you are, you cannot live as a colony of heaven by yourself. You cannot do it. I think that's been one of the biggest downfalls. It's why, in many ways, the church has lost its place in culture. As we come together and we say, okay, everybody, let's get all fired up. And now everybody go your own separate ways each week. And now let's come together, let's get fired up. And now everyone go your own separate ways. Rather than saying, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Shouldn't we partner together in the mission throughout the week? Right? Like that's what missional communities are called to do. And so if you're not an MC, I want to encourage you, step out of the shadows. I want to graciously and patiently call you to do that. Step out of the shadows. Get involved in one. If you want to know more information about that, email Adam, adam at fellowshipparagold.com, or come and see me at the welcome team. I'll be more than happy to help you plug in. Second thing I would say is this. If you're already in a missional community, consider becoming a missional community leader. We started... A little over five years ago with six people in one missional community. Today we have over 320 in 11 missional communities. Our goal is to have 11 more in the next five years. That means our goal is to have 22 missional communities by 2022. 22 by 22. That is our goal. And I just want to say this. We can't launch new missional communities apart from missional community leaders. Some of you... um, God's calling you to lead a missional community. I would just say this. I honestly don't think that's a special calling, by the way. I would probably ask yourself this. If you don't want to lead a missional community, God, what's special about my calling that you wouldn't want me to lead a missional community? Because really, all that lead a missional community is, guys, is just seeking to make disciples who make disciples. That's really all that it is. And if you don't want to lead an MC, right, there's no guilt. We're not going to shame you or anything like that. But please pray honestly about, like, Holy Spirit, like, why not me? Why not me? And if you're like, man, I just don't think I'm qualified. Okay, well, how are you pressing forward? How are you seeking to make progress? If there's something going on in your life or your marriage or whatever, you're like, we couldn't do that. How are you pressing forward? How are you seeking to make progress? I'm going to encourage you to consider leading a missional community. Third thing I want to say is this. If we're going to help call enough, if we're going to set up a colony of heaven here and beyond, we must be a people who more than ever pray. There are a lot of moving parts in fellowship because it's a, it's a fairly quick-growing church. And as pastors, we're doing everything we can to constantly improve on what we're doing and build out healthy structures and launch new healthy ministries, whether it's for, for teens or restructuring our, our, our kids' ministry. We're constantly coaching missional community leaders. I mean, here's the thing, though. We're going to put in a lot of work. But we cannot do the work of God apart from the power of God. That's foolish. God can accomplish more in five minutes and like with ease than we could over the next 50 years in our own power. And therefore, because of that, we're going to continue to call us, every one of us, to be a praying people. I love what Samuel Chadwick says. He says he, he has the following. He says, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern, therefore, is to keep saints from praying. He fears nothing from our prayerless studies, our prayerless work, our prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. That is true. Greatest thing you can do for this church, guys, is pray. It's the greatest thing you can do. So here's what we're going to do. October 25th, we're kicking off our bi-monthly prayer meetings again. Um, that'll start. I want to encourage you to sign up for that. I know we're all busy, but I've studied human beings enough that I know we all make a priority. Or we show up for what's a priority. And so I want to encourage you, prioritize your prayer meeting. October 25th. On October 29th, we're going to kick off a five-week prayer series. 
because we know praying's hard. We're also going to build out a five-week discussion guide that you can go through in your missional communities with the sermon to help you learn how to pray. So we must be a praying people. Last thing I want to say is this. If we are going to help advance the kingdom of God, if we are going to help heavenize the city and the region of the world around us, we must continue to be committed to planting churches. As you know, two years ago, we planted Matthew's Table in East Tennessee, and they're still seeking to make disciples there. We're going to continue to try to plant churches. And I don't know where the next church plant's going to be, but I know this much. I don't know how many are in this room right now, but usually there's like 50 people from Jonesboro that drive from Jonesboro to Paragould every week to be a part of this. So I would love to see uh, us eventually plant a church in Jonesboro. Again, we're not measuring success by addition, guys. We're measuring it by multiplication. Okay? We're not trying to just fill this room. We want to fill the kingdom. And so, therefore, we're going to be about making disciples. We make disciples, launching missional communities that launch new missional communities, and planting churches that plant more churches. So I'm going to encourage you guys to pray with us in that as we continue to seek to heavenize Paragold and beyond. And so here's what I just say. That's all that we want to try to give ourselves to over the next five years. Um, I just want to ask you this. Like, where are you in that calling? Where are you in that? Where's your family? Where's your missional community? How are you pressing on? How are you running forward? What do you believe that it is that Jesus in this next season is calling you and your family and your missional community to partner in for this purpose? For some of you this morning, maybe the next step might be following Jesus. Even if you've been in church your entire life, maybe for some of you, you just got to admit this morning that I've been pursuing the American dream. I've been trying to like get my little bit of Jesus on Sunday morning, but like living however I want throughout the rest of the week. Guys, take this stuff seriously. Paul says, and we're about done this morning, Paul says we will all stand before God on judgment day. And he says there are many people who, because they're living for the world by their own free will, they chose to reject Jesus and live for something else, and as a result, he says they will be destroyed. I know that's intense. It's not popular. There's nothing about that that's not going to, like you know, Super attractional. But the scripture is clear. There's coming a day of judgment, and there are many who will be destroyed, and there are many who also, he says, in Christ will be resurrected. So here's the question as we come to a close this morning. Which one are you? This is the next big step that all of us need to figure out. Because listen, either you run after Jesus today, and you experience resurrection, or you reject Jesus by your own free will, and one day you're destroyed. And I know that's heavy. Again, but as far as I see in the scripture, and you can come and correct me if you want afterwards, I'll be, I'm wide open to rebuke. As far as I see it, there is no option C. Either you run after Jesus in this life, or you do not get him in the next life. So again, we started with this question, we'll end with this question. What are you running towards? What is the prize that you believe, if I get this, then I'll finally be satisfied?